Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, July 24th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, it's not really a matter of if, but when. Gold is going to break through its record price, probably sooner rather than later. In fact, we're knocking on the door of $1,900 an ounce right now. As I'm recording this, gold is at, let's see, $1,894. So we're just $6 from the $1,900 level. And from there, we're, what, 20 bucks from the all-time record high. Now think about this. It was just two weeks ago on this show that I was talking about gold finally breaking through the $1,800 resistance level, and we're already looking at $1,900 two weeks later. Gold is on track for its seventh weekly gain. That's the longest stretch of up weeks since 2011. And silver. Silver is doing even better. It's poised for its biggest weekly advance in about four decades. As I'm recording this, silver is trading at 2260, and that's actually down a bit off its high for the week. We've seen some profit taking over the last day or so. The white metal was above $23 on Wednesday afternoon. So look at this trajectory. On Monday, silver broke through $21 an ounce. On Tuesday, it broke through $22 an ounce. And on Wednesday, it broke through $23. So not surprising that we're seeing a little bit of profit taking there. You know, there are a lot of dynamics in play here. There is still a strong safe haven bid for metals. There's at least some realization that we're not looking at a quick economic recovery. And, of course, we have the surge of COVID-19 cases in many areas, and that's leading to some more economic shutdowns. Then we have geopolitical tensions rising between the U.S. and China. You know, in fact, for those of you who grew up in the 1980s like I did, some of the rhetoric is starting to sound a whole lot like the Cold War. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave a speech, and he depicted China's leaders as tyrants bent on global hegemony. He said, quote, if the free world doesn't change communist China, communist China will change us. And he said, if we bend the knee now, our children's children may be at the mercy of the CCP, whose actions are the primary challenge to the free world. So yeah, a little saber-rattling, creepy Cold War stuff there. Anyway, another big factor uh, pushing the precious metals markets is that we're starting to see dollar weakness. Now, this shouldn't come as any surprise given that the Fed has spewed trillions of dollars created out of thin air into the financial system into really a relatively short amount of time. The dollar index fell to a nearly two-year low around 94.60 in early trading this morning. So allow me to indulge in a little bit of I told you so. You'll recall that when the stock market crashed back in March, gold and silver actually fell along with it. And people were giving me a little bit of crap saying that I was wrong about the safe havens and you know, asking, oh, what's wrong with gold? And on this podcast back on March 21st, I said, this is a long-term event, and I talked about the Federal Reserve and the government response, and I said, quote, they are just throwing fuel on the fire, and my gut is, all of these people hiding in the U.S. dollar are going to be really sorry when all of this monetary and fiscal stimulus actually starts flowing through the pipeline, and I said, in the end, economics always wins. Well, here we are four months later, and gold is close to its all-time high, silver is on this bull run, the dollar is getting shaky because, yes, economics win. And I'll be honest, I still don't think we're anywhere close to seeing the real impact 
of all of this money printing and all of this government stimulus. We're still early in this. I mean, they're not done yet, not by a long shot. Congress is hammering out another stimulus package as I speak, and who knows how many trillions of dollars that's going to be. And Jerome Powell has promised to do whatever it takes as long as it takes to prop up the economy. He said that you know interest rates are going to be at zero until at least 2022. So when gold cracks 1900, that I don't think that's the end. It's just the beginning. And you know, we'll probably see some ups and downs. Of course, we're going to see ups and downs. We may even see some profit taking before we set the record. And I think it will take some time before 1900 turns from a resistance to support. But when it does, look out. As I said, at its core, this is about economics. You know, you can kind of look at investing in two different ways. There are people who play the ups and downs in in the daily and weekly markets. They look at the short-term movements and they try to time them to make money. And you know you can make a lot of money if you're good at it. But it's risky. I can't do it. It's too stressful. And, And honestly, I'm just way too conservative with my money. I fall into the second way of looking at investing. I'm a long term guy. I look at the economic fundamentals and I try to plan accordingly. And the economic fundamentals are garbage right now. The Fed has somehow managed to blow up the stock market bubble even bigger in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, you got to give them credit for that, I guess. But this monetary policy, this fiscal policy, it is relatively predictable in its outcome. Uh, A lot of y'all might be familiar with Jim Grant. He's the uh, founder of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. He views the world through a very similar lens as Peter Schiff. And I posted one of his interviews on the Schiff Gold website this week. I'll link to the interview in the show notes page. I love Jim Grant because not only does he understand the economics of the Federal Reserve and interest rates and all of this manipulation, he's quite the wordsmith. And as a writer, I really appreciate that. He wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal last month talking about the impacts of the Fed's response to the RONA. Grant asserts that the Fed's zero interest rate monetary policy is hopelessly distorting the economy, and policymakers, Powell in particular, should find a bit of humility. Here's what Grant wrote. He said, ground scraping interest rates turn savers into speculators and quarantine millennials into day traders. They facilitate overborrowing, suppress market signals, misdirect investment dollars, and promote the dubious business of turning well-financed public companies into heavily indebted private ones. Concerning the future and its side effects, Mr. Powell should admit how little he knows, he and the rest of us. Ah, eloquent and true. The ugly truth is these people don't know what they're doing. I mean, you can't micromanage the economy. I mean, like I said, give the Fed credit for propping up the stock market and blowing up another stock market bubble in the midst of of a pandemic. Uh, You got to give them credit for that. And really, I think that's their main goal. They want to keep the stock market blown up. But even that, they can't do it forever. I mean, there's just too many dynamics in play. Grant also wrote, there is no kind of monetary policy that is designed to supplant the absence of commerce. You know, I've talked about this. Printing money doesn't create products to buy. It doesn't produce services. It doesn't conjure up capital goods or add anything at all to the actual economy. It's just inflation. It's just throwing dollars out of helicopters. But this is the fork the Fed knows. Powell and company may have acted with good intentions, but as Grant put it, investors aren't really concerned with motives or necessity. All that really matters is outcome. And the outcomes of all of this will not be good. 
Here's what the Fed has done in Grant's words. Interest rates no longer are prices that reliably direct investment flows and valuations. Interest rates are the artificial constructs of the Fed that is doing its best to step in and make something happen in the absence of economic activity as we used to know it. So interest rates distort judgments and flows, and the amount of money that the Fed has created is itself a distorting factor. This is why gold is going up. This is why silver is going up. It's why the dollar is weak, and it's why Peter Schiff believes the dollar is going to eventually crash. He talked about that in his podcast this week, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes page as well. So, as I said earlier, I do think a lot of people are starting to realize that the economy isn't going to just bounce back next week. But I think a lot of the pessimism is based on the coronavirus resurgence and not so much on the fact that the economy is mortally wounded. I still don't think a lot of people get that. In fact, I think a lot of people believe that if we get a vaccine and we can cure the Rona, it's going to cure the economy. And as I said over and over again, no. There were some more signs of the deep damage done to the economy this week. Of course, we had another huge week of new unemployment claims, 1.416 million for the week ending July 18th. That was the 18th straight week in which initial jobless claims totaled more than 1 million. Think about that for a second. The number was certainly pumped up this this last week by new business shutdowns in some states that are seeing a COVID-19 surge. But I think there's also a lot of businesses that are just shutting down for good. The whole mess is finally starting to catch up with them, and there's some evidence for this. Business closures on Yelp peaked at 177,000 on April 19th, and then as the economy started to open up, uh, it fell to 132,500. That was as of July 10th. But even as the total number of closed businesses declined, the number of permanent shutdowns spiked. According to Yelp, of those 132,500 closed businesses as of July 10th, 72,842 were shut down permanently. That means that as of July 10th, permanent closures accounted for 55% of all closed businesses since March 1st. That means those businesses are gone, never opening again. So yeah, less than ideal. And I think the number of permanent shutdowns will accelerate as stimulus money runs out, as expenses start to overrun the lower revenues that we're seeing, and cash flow issues continue to ripple through the system. You know, I talked about the whole problem with cash flow a couple of weeks ago. Even as the economy opens up, it takes a while for cash to start flowing again. Most transactions are on a 30-day payment terms. Depending on the number of transactions in a product's supply chain, it can take months to refill the cash flow pipeline. Meanwhile, the business owner still has to make payroll and pay all of her reoccurring monthly bills, such as rent and utilities. So even when things open back up, you're still going to see a lot of businesses that are, are just going to they're going to go under because they can't manage the mortal wound that they've sustained. So I think you're going to see a lot of businesses shut down for good as we move forward, whether we get a handle on the coronavirus or not. And here's another troubling data point. Mortgage delinquency soared at a record pace in April. And keep in mind, April was toward the beginning of the pandemic's economic impact. According to property data and analytics company CoreLogic, the share of all mortgages that were past due but less than 30 days soared to 3.4% of all mortgages. It doesn't sound that bad, right? 
Well, it's the highest level since 1999. For some context, during the housing bust, the rate peaked in November 2008 at 2%. Mortgages from 30 to 59 days past due surged to 4.2% of all mortgages. This is also the highest level since 1999. The overall delinquency rate, 30-day plus, jumped to 6.1% from 3.6% in April of last year. So again, less than ideal. That means there is going to be a lot of pressure on banks. You know, that's one of the things you have to remember. Each of these problems has a ripple effect. One thing impacts another. Business shutdowns put people out of work. Then people can't pay their mortgage. That means banks lose money and then banks start to go under and it just keeps continuing to push through the system. On and on it goes. This is why I keep saying keep your eye focused on the long term, the big picture, the fundamental dynamics. You know, gold may drop tomorrow. It may may drop this afternoon. Stocks may go up. But ask yourself the question, do the economic dynamics support what you're seeing and then act accordingly? If you would like to talk to somebody about how you can navigate these crazy times and how precious metals can help protect your wealth and work within your personal investment strategy, I highly recommend talking to a shift gold precious metal specialist today. You just call 1-888-GOLD-160. They'd love to talk to you. Or you can just shoot them an email at info at shipgold.com. Well, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. And if you haven't done it already, you can just subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap and get it right on your uh, iPhone or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. You can subscribe on iTunes, on the Ship Gold YouTube channel, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You'll find links for all of this stuff on the show notes page. And uh, I really do appreciate you listening. And I will talk to you again next week.